Dons fans, and welcome to the round 19 edition of Don the Stat. The trip down the highway to take on the Cats was a demoralising one. We slipped from fifth to eighth on the ladder, but with a chance to redeem ourselves against the Bulldogs on Friday night in a clash that sees seventh take on eighth. I'm Jonathan Walsh, and I'm once again joined by my co-host Ian Hume. Hume, really good to have you back, mate. How's things? Hey, mate. Look, I'm still a bit under the weather this week, but I guess... One benefit of the way last Saturday played out was that I could get an early night. I turned off at halftime and I don't really regret that looking at the final score. You were there. You stuck it out to the end. How was that? Yeah, I did. Look, it it wasn't great, obviously. Um, uh, uh, fortunate to be able to get a ticket and, and go along. And and I have to say, um, whilst I'm not in any hurry to go back to Cardinia Park, uh, uh, it does fill me with envy that they've got that set up out there. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty classy stadium. Yeah, maybe not all of their supporters, uh, but certainly the stadium itself. But yeah, stuck it out to the end. Uh, got awfully cold by the end of it. The frostbite's uh, finally gone away, and looking forward to just putting that one in the rear view mirror now, and um, and looking forward to taking on the Bulldogs on Friday night. Yeah, agreed. Look, before we start, I just want to say a big thanks to your brother Andrew for filling in at short notice last week. It was great to hear the two of you talking football. I imagine dinner table conversations would have been pretty interesting at your house. Yeah, footy in the winter and cricket in the summer was pretty much all we ever really spoke about back then and not much has changed um, these days. So, yeah, thanks, Andrew, for having us on. And I also want to uh, shout out to my three nephews, Cooper, William and Hudson, all three I know listen to the show pretty much every week and certainly listened to it a few times last week having their dad on. But um, I know William... Uh, in particular, has taken to uh, mimicking my intros to the show and, and gets around the dinner table at home and, and likes to reproduce them. So, uh, yeah, I think we might see if we can get him to record one for a future episode. Yeah, I think that'd be a pretty good way to appreciate some of our favourite listeners there. Thanks, boys. Um, look, also thanks to our new patrons, Craig Mack, Casey Vincher and Chad Alloway. Uh, John has got a new Patreon video planned to come out later this week. So it's a great time to get involved. You can find a link to our Patreon in the description of this episode. Uh, we'd also like to thank Dav Bomber and Vange for their great Apple reviews. It's something we always love to receive and they very much make my week and I'm, I know they make yours as well. Yeah. The support from our Patreons is overwhelming. Uh, really, really grateful for for all of them. And yeah, getting the review certainly does put a great uh, spring in our step when we get them. So thanks to everyone. And yeah, for, for those that do ask how they can help support us, um, either signing up for a Patreon or leaving a review on, on Apple Reviews is a great way to do that. And, and thanks again to those who have jumped on board in the past week. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, this review isn't going to be pretty. Let's rip the bandaid off and get stuck in. So as always, we'll go through our points from the previous week and then look at how that played out. And the first was to halve the contest and, and really control possession. Uh, but when you're down in both contested possession by 28 and in tackles by seven, that suggests you're not really in the contest in a meaningful way. And that probably set the tone for what how things played out on the weekend. Yeah, I think this will be a pretty quick review, mate, both for our benefit and for everybody listening. I don't think too many people want to relive it, but... Uh, yeah, this was ultimately where the game was won and lost. The The first time around, we were outscored from stoppages. So the first time around against the Cats, that was earlier in the season, we were outscored from stoppages by 47 points to 18. And that was really where the game for us was lost. Uh, but we were able to match them at centre clearances, three goals apiece, and, and near enough to breaking even from turnover. Uh, Geelong out, outscored a 67 points to 58 in, in that regard. 
but our setup behind the ball and ball movement using the width of the G kept us, you know, somewhat competitive. We scored six goals to two from defensive 50 transition in that game. And, you know, after the early Geelong dominance in contested possession, we were able to, you know, get it back on our terms or, or, or even it up um, somewhat. The game finished at 140 to 151 Geelong's game. This time around, there wasn't a goal for the match kicked from centre bounces for either side. We, we held our own at, at stoppages. It was 12 points to 14 in Geelong's favour, but we just got completely overwhelmed at contested ball and completely over, overwhelmed on turnover. We still had 71 intercepts for the game, which is just above our season average of 69. So, you know, and, and you know, Geelong turned the ball over 69 times for the game, which is just above our opposition season average of 66. So we did a reasonable job of being able to get the ball back off Geelong at times, but we just kept giving it back to the mate. We, we turned the ball over 82 times. A lot of that did, uh, you know, a fair portion of that came out of the contest where we were able to win it. We were we were giving it straight back. We averaged 67 um, turnovers a game this season. And, you know, 82 is the second most we've had in a game. And it's the 15th most that any team has had in a game in 2023. So, it, you know, it was a pretty demoralizing result in, in that regard. And then of those 15, you've got, you know, five or six of those were games, um, you know, that were played up in Cairns and, and, um, Alice Springs, where it was wet and greasy conditions. So I think to, to give a bit of context, um, yeah, 82 turnovers in a game is just way too many and and Geelong really made us pay for it. Yeah, it was, it was over 100 points scored from turnover was their biggest score source. Um, and it was all across the ground too, it was their, their forward half, their back half. They were generating scores from everywhere. And I think it comes down to obviously their experience and their knowledge of the ground and, and all that. And it just all sort of played out as badly as it could for us. One area I think, it, you know, we did okay. Um, obviously, Dangerfield had such a big game last time and, and he was someone we were looking to really focus on this week. And, and we sort of suggested that Archie Perkins will be the player to, to try and limit him. And I know Dangerfield only played over just half the game, but he's, it was really down his impact from the previous game, which I think is a tick for Archie. Now, I know people are concerned about Perkins' disposal, exiting clearance, but I think we have to remember that he's played under 10 games as a centre square midfielder in his life. He didn't do it in his under 18 years. There's a lot of things he's doing really well in that in that space. He's blocking, he's tackling, and he's able to get his first hands to the footy quite a lot. So there's all the things to provide a solid base to build off. So as he gets stronger and more confident in this area, I think his disposal is going to improve to you know closer to the point what we see from him in, in open play when he's playing that half forward role. Yeah, I thought it was a really good test for him. You know, Dangerfield isn't playing at the level that he was early in the season, but he's still their most important midfielder. He was he was top five, he being Perkins in, in this case, was top five on the ground for metres gained. And whilst that's not a stat that I typically take a lot of notice of, I think in the context of a team that really struggled to take territory, for him to to mind Dangerfield for, you know, the best part of three quarters of the game and then be our second-ranked, player for metres gained, I think was a, a positive despite his, uh, you know, uh, his disposal efficiency. And then, you know, he wasn't on his own in that regard, was he? All our mids really struggled under the pressure Geelong applied. So Perkins went at 52% disposal efficiency. Hobbs was 52% as well. Merritt, 55. Caldwell, 58. The only one that fared a bit better was Darcy Parrish, who went at um, almost 71%. So, yeah, it did. Uh, Parish, uh, sorry, Perkins certainly wasn't on his own there. And, you know, we've now seen Perkins beat Cripps. We've seen him take it up to Dawson and, and do a good job on him to the point where Dawson was then moved behind the ball. And now he's taken it up to Dangerfield. And, uh, you know, he, he didn't necessarily beat him, but 
but Dangerfield didn't dominate the game either. Um, you know, arguably he didn't have to, but I think Archie Perkins is going to take a lot out of that going forward, and and it gives us another string to our our, our midfield and and another um op, you know option that we can deploy when we need it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, someone who did end up dominating the game was Tom Stewart, and we obviously identified him as a key person to to nullify, but we were unable to do this. He had nine intercept possessions, and six of those were marks, and that's the most by any player in the game. So his season average on those stats is 7.8 for intercept possessions and 2.9 for intercept marks. So he really just repelled a lot of our attacks, and we did get the opportunity to move the ball forward. And then he was obviously very creative, you know, going the other way as well. Yeah, when we spoke about this in our review, we were sort of questioning, do we send someone like Langford to him to try and lock down a little bit um, or – uh, and, and you know that was Andrew's view, which I think was you know would have been a really smart option. We we went a- another way, which was my suggestion, and that was Wiedemann. You know, Weed he's going to draw Wiedemann's going to draw the Stewart matchup, and Wiedemann just needs to get dangerous. And uh, you know he had Wiedemann for a lot of the game, Guelphie at times as well, and he just ignored them as as we expected he might. And we weren't able to move the ball well enough to expose Stewart, and uh, and nor were those guys able to get into positions to be dangerous often enough. Uh, you know, uh, it's partly on them, part, uh, but mostly on our inability to move the ball with any fluidity. Uh, and and he just mopped up everything that that came his way. Their, their midfield pressure just made it a whole lot easier. But yeah, the, as I sort of touched on, our half forwards really did just fall over. And it's something I'm going to focus on in the Patreon video later this week, because I think it's where we're breaking down the most at the moment. And it's the difference between our good and our bad. I think, it works fine when we're able to move the ball and get overlap and and find space and, and control possession. But when we're under pressure and uh, that midfield and half forward connection becomes all the more important and it basically just disappears and our half forwards end up either too deep or too high. And, and what that often means, and it was the case against Geelong, is they just get overlapped in both offense and defense defensive transition so it hurts us both ways the ball goes over their head often when we're trying to take the ball forward and then it comes back over their head really quickly when the opposition are are, um, are moving the ball back the other way so yeah I'm I'm gonna sort of dig into that a little bit in um, in the Patreon video later this week Uh, and then you know with Perkins in the midfield it was compounded a bit again Uh, you know he is one player that it has become really good in that half forward role and getting into dangerous positions we moved Martin there in the last quarter and it looked a bit better but uh yeah I think it's it's the part of the ground that that gives us the most problems at the moment and and the biggest challenge Brad Scott has to fix I think yeah the next challenge for us was to handle Hawkins and Cameron particularly Hawkins after the last game and I think, you know, obviously Hawkins did kick five goals and, and had eight shots on goal. But I think one if you're going to provide one point that Essendon did better this time, is they never tried to get involved in a wrestling match. And most of his shots came came from leads or, you know, when Geelong had so much space that it was it was almost impossible to stop. Um, you know, you prob you would have probably would have kicked, you know, five goals on Stephen Silvani or, or Dustin Fletcher or Matthew Scarlett if he, you know, he got that sort of delivery regardless of who was playing on him. I thought, you know, BZT made changes to how he went about playing him. And I thought that was somewhat effective or at least more effective than it was last time. Yeah, you're right, mate. It was a, a really tough gig for all of our defenders. And I thought when he took front position, he did a really good job. And, and you know, he's starting to read the ball a lot better and, and anticipate the way that the ball's coming in. But 
obviously when Geelong had real speed on the ball and Hawkins had a lot of space to work with, uh, there's not much that he could do. He, he took four intercept marks for the game. Only Stewart with six had more. So, uh, you know, they used went through Hawkins a lot. He, he had the eight marks inside 50 and, and five marks on the lead. But, uh, you know, BCT was still able to win a number of those contests um, himself. I know a lot of people critical of playing BZT on Hawkins again and uh, you know the the term we didn't learn anything from the last time around gets thrown around a little bit but I like the opportunity that or the fact that they've given him the opportunity to to learn and develop and grow his game I know Hawkins still kick five um, you know it is an improvement from eight and it was in a game where you know Geelong had a lot more ascendancy and, and a lot le- less pressure on them than they did the first time around so I think, you know, holding him to five with that level of delivery is probably not a bad outcome for, for BZT. And and I think it was an improvement in, as you said, the way that he approached him. He he, he avoided the arm wrestle, uh, played him in a bit more of a Dustin Fletcher style game, backed in his um his spoiling ability and his marking ability. And yeah, won some contests. Um, yeah, Hawkins still kicked a bag, but I, I thought it was an improvement nonetheless. Yeah. And look, finally, the... We identified the challenge for Nick Bryan coming in to be that number one ruckman, which he's only really done once or twice before this game. He's generally had a second ruckman to to take a lot of the load, Um, but he ended up being the highest rated SM player on the ground. So really good uh, performance from him in obviously a really dirty night for the rest of the side. Yeah, I thought he did a reasonable job, mate. He was always going to be up against it and taking on a couple of veterans, you know, whilst, um, Stanley and Blitzars aren't necessarily uh, dominant ruckmen of the competition. Uh, they're still very senior and experienced players who who have got a lot of years in the system. Uh, I thought he competed well. He took a few grabs. He got a bit of the footy, got his hands on a few. You know, I think overall Stanley probably won the, the ruck contest. But, you know, I think Nick Bryan walks away with his head held high. He had five contested possessions to Stanley seven. So, you know, reasonable job of competing at ground level. 14 disposals to Stanley's 12, five marks to Stanley's two. And then he kicked that goal at the end when he went forward. So, yeah, I think it was as much as you could hope for from a young ruckman against a really experienced one in a team that was soundly beaten. So I, I think, yeah, a good sign that that we've got plenty of plenty to work with there for the future. Yeah, and he's hoping that he, he gets another crack at it this week, coming up against quite a good ruckman in Tim English. Well, look, before we start to head off this match, let's just sort of go through, why do we just not match up well against Geelong? What's what's the issue that we keep coming up against? Obviously, you know, the last three games, it's been, you know, seven goals, six goals, seven goals before we've even scored. You know, it's it's clear we don't have the ability to match a side like Geelong at this stage. What, what, where are you lacking yeah, I think there's two things for me, mate, and then the venue in particular added a third. So the first is just experience. Geelong averaged 140.8 games of experience per player on the weekend. We averaged 93.2. So, you know, that that's two years of AFL experience per player. So, you know, fast track, you know, Hobbs and, and Caldwell to – and. you know, Perkins and, and these guys to where they might be in another two years with another – 40 games of experience, another two full pre-seasons. That's where, you know, on average, every Geelong player is at at the moment compared to their, their Essendon opponent. And then the second is, is just size, which, you know, comes with experience, but I think just um, there's a couple of really unique players, um, uh, one in particular in Geelong's midfield, which I'll touch on in a sec. But they sent O'Connor to Zach Merritt, and he did a really good job on him. And 
uh, forced Zach to go forward and break the tag, which is something that we've seen him do at times this year, which I think is a overall it's been a positive for us. Um, you know, Zach's prepared to sacrifice his own game to um to you know benefit the side. But you know, we weren't getting any ball down there and 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 he was starved of opportunities to get in the game. And and you know, we really need Zach Merritt to you know, with his hands on the footy and, and, and trying to set up our forward thrust. So he then went back into the midfield and tried to play a bit more of an, an inside role. He was the second most clearances on the ground. But, he, you know, he was up against a guy who's 191 centimetres and, and 90 kilos. So he, he's got size and strength on Zach. And then they stood blitzarves on Parrish at stoppages. And and this is something completely unique to the Geelong setup that you don't get against other teams. He's a 200 centimetre, 100 kilo midfielder. They, there aren't a lot of them going around in the AFL and he just kept Parrish away from the footy. He created a path for their other mids and then compounded a little bit by the Stanley V Brian um, size and, and, um, and experience. And it just meant that, you know, guys like Tom Atkins and, and the like were a real beneficiary um, of that, you know, Merritt was disposed of, Parrish was disposed of, and then it sort of became, um, you know, Perkins v Danger and and our our young midfielders in, in Hobbs and Caldwell just weren't able to go with their their more experienced um, Geelong counterpart parts. So, yeah, just those big, powerful bodies across the ground um, we weren't able to contend with. And uh, and if you go back to that game earlier in the season where, yeah, we, we got jumped at the start, we were coming off a five-day break after Anzac Day, um, you know, in, in the warmer weather and, you know, excuses. Yeah, probably um, Geelong had a, a, what, an eight or nine-day break going into that game. But for the most part of the game, we were able to match them. Uh, Stringer, Shield, Setterfield and Draper were in our top six for contested possessions in that game. Three of them weren't there and, and Stringer was tied to the goal square and, um, and you know, didn't really play through the midfield all that much. So uh, the guys that we do have with experience and size in, in Stringer, Shield, Setterfield and Draper, they just weren't there to, to help us in, well, Stringer played, but but was ineffective. The other three didn't. Um, they just weren't there to to help us in that size department. And then, you know, just to to touch on finally, mate, the venue. Uh, you know, I was hopeful that that the length of the ground might suit us. It, it it didn't. We ended up seeing a lot of kicks just drop short when we were coming out of the centre clearance. Our half forwards um, completely lost their positioning and compounded by our lack of ability to win the contested ball and take. Um, territory Geelong just shut down the corridor. They forced us wide, and then once we did that on that ground, and and wide on that ground isn't it doesn't take much to to be hemmed up against the boundary line. They they pinned us down. We lost the space that we normally rely on to transition the ball, and and ultimately, um, uh, you know, played into Geelong's hands by having to kick down the line to uh, to a group of guys who were just outbodied and outmuscled us. Yeah, so I guess you know I think you've sort of already addressed this, but. What do we need to change to be able to challenge them? Is it literally just more games into more players and, and more pre-seasons? Is that the basic thing we need to do? Yeah. I mean, there aren't too many 200 centimetre, 100 kilo midfielders going around. but um, So we're not going to have to worry about that for forever. And, and you know, Dangerfield's, you know, doesn't have a lot of footy left in him. So, you know, there'll, there'll be a bit of an attrition rate. The blokes that they've brought in to replace those guys in um, – 
you know, Bowers and um, and Tanner Bruin aren't nearly um, as big and powerful as those guys. But yeah, another couple of preseasons made into into Martin, Durham, Hobbs, Caldwell, Sardis comes into that mix as well. Cox comes into that mix and, and Perkins to then go with Merritt, Parrish, Cedarfield and Draper. I think we'll have the depth through our midfield and the size to compete, not just against Geelong, but, you know, all of the, the biggest and best midfields in the competition. Yeah, well said. Well, look, let's move off the Geelong game. And I think... We're going to have to make a little um, little segment here. Um, I've, I've dubbed it Hanging It on Hoiny. Um, if you're on Twitter, you probably see us every week um, engaging with Daniel Hoyne, who um, works at Champion Data and has a segment on SEN Sports Day uh, every Tuesday. Um, look, you know, he's, he's got access to quite a lot of data and then we're always quite disappointed with the shallow analysis that he puts out. So this time that the big... Uh, you know, clickbait moment was claiming that Darcy Parrish's performance against the top eight sides uh, don't match his performance against the bottom 10 ones. And I think, Jono, you, you've really got a, a passionate response to this. I certainly do, mate. I, I feel like this segment probably needs its own stinger. Um, uh, so, yeah, maybe in the off-season we can put something together to, to bring us into this. But the premise of the discussion on SEN was that Essendon has won the one game from eight against top eight sides, which, you know, we already knew that, right? It comes as no surprise to any Essendon fan that, or any football fan that the team that's sitting, on, uh, sitting eighth on the ladder hasn't won too many games against the teams above them. Otherwise, they wouldn't be eighth. They'd, you know, they'd be up in the top four. So, uh, you know, I, I think that that's just telling everybody what they already knew. In the seven games we've lost, though, I think we've been super competitive in four of them. Yeah. I think you're just sort of reflecting on what you said earlier. You know, we've, we've played nine games against team below us, and we've only lost one of them, which is against Fremantle. And as you as you say, that sort of reflects that we're, we're probably right in the position that we, we should be, which is, you know, around that eighth mark. Yeah, that's right. And then if you look at the losses to the teams above us, it was an 18-point loss to St Kilda. Scores were level in the last quarter of that game. We, we lost by 13 points to Collingwood after being up by five goals on Anzac Day. We lost to Port by five points and four points in our two games against them. And then not so competitive in the other three. We got within 20 points of Geelong the first time around and then lost by 28, um, you know, that that early game blitz that we spoke about. And then we're ahead at halftime against Brisbane and, and lost by 42 up at the Gabba. Uh, no shame in that. No team goes up to the Gabba or, or not many teams go up to the Gabba and, and do overly well. And then likewise, you know, on Saturday night, smashed at Cadinia Park on, uh, you know, against the Cats. We did beat the Crows, it's worth mentioning, who were eight at the time that we played them. So, uh, you know, the, technically there's a top eight win there. But, you know, if we look back to last year, we won two games against top eight sides. We beat the Swans by nine points at the G and then we beat Brisbane by 10 points at the Gabba. Um, and that was the the COVID game where, where Brisbane had a few out. Um, but given how we were going, I think that was still a really good win. We ran the pies close both times, 11 and, and four-point losses in those two games. But in our other eight games against top eight sides, we had an average losing margin of 44 points, and we weren't in any of those contests. So, uh, you know, I think there's a, a fair bit of improvement there in, in in how we've performed against the better sides this season. Uh, I don't think, uh, you know, we haven't taken the steps yet to be a top four side by consistently beating top eight sides, but 
I don't think any balanced Essen supporter really expected that we would do that this year. I think what we have done so far, at least, is taken steps to consistently compete with top eight sides and consistently beat the teams that are competing for, you know, those positions on the ladder, sort of sixth, seventh, and eighth. And and that's the reason, as you said, we are where we are. It's the reason that we're eighth. It's also the reason that we're not 12th and the reason that we're not fourth or fifth. But Beyond that, in the segment, he singled out two players, Darcy Parrish and, and Jordan Ridley, as players that drop away against the top eight sides. And I just wanted to drill into that a little bit. Um, so he, he mentioned that Parrish is down by 40% against top eight sides. In He said that the five or six games he's played against them, it's actually seven games. So um, I, I'm not sure what the 40% related to, but I, I've done some digging and, and I'm really not sure where it comes from. He averages 32 disposals a game against top eight sides. He averages 32 disposals a game against bottom 10 sides. So he, he's getting exactly the same amount of ball, 14.6 contested possessions against top eight, 14 uh, flat against bottom 10. So, you know, slightly more contested possession, but, you know, really the same. He's getting the same amount of footy. He's getting the same amount of contested footy, uh, regardless of where the teams are based on the ladder. He averages more shots on goal against top eight sides. It's skewed a little bit by those behinds. He kicked against Port, uh, but fewer score score involvements. And, and, you know, that also reflects the performance of the team in a couple of those games. It drops from 7.8 against the bottom 10 to 6.14 against the top eight. Still not a huge drop away, though. Centre clearances dropped from 4.8 to 3.1. Stoppages from 4.8 to 3.6. So in raw numbers, not a big drop off. In percentage terms, it's 34% and, and 25%. And uh, you know, that sounds alarming if you want it to be, I guess. And and maybe that's why he went with a percentage rather than actually looking at some of the raw data. The other areas of drop-off are inside 50s. They're down from 7.6 against the top, uh, sorry, the bottom 10 to 4.8 against the, the top eight. Um, but again, mirrors team performance. We know we didn't get the ball inside 50 a lot against uh, Geelong um, and, you know, against a couple of those other top ranked sides, Brisbane, etc. And then metres gain drops from 536 to 40%. Um, that's a 25% decrease. And then disposal efficiency from 75% down to 65%. But, you know, I think all of these are much more symptomatic of team performance uh, than Darcy Parrish performance. And he has two outliers within that. He had his quietest games of the season against the Pies on Anzac Day and Geelong on Saturday night. But, you know, let's remember this is a guy who, uh, you know, has who won every best on ground medal available to him in 2021 in, in big games. Uh, you know, so I don't think we, we should deal him the tag of someone who doesn't stand up against the best teams. He got coaches' votes in five of his first eight games this season before getting injured. Three of those games are against top eight sides. So, you know, the coaches are certainly seeing his performance against good sides and, and you know, giving him votes for, for what he's doing. And then he also shared Max votes or coaches' votes with um, Zach Merritt against the Crows, who were in the eight at the time. So, uh, yeah, I think it's um, it's pretty disappointing sensationalism and, and, and an un, unjust um, way of, of treating Darcy Parrish. Um, and then as for Ridley, the knock on him was that he doesn't intercept as much against top eight and uh, against top eight sides and, and how important intercepting is, which, you know, we, we know that he averages 6.22 intercepts a game against the bottom 10 that drops to 5.33 uh, 
so, you know, less than one a game decline or, or 14% against the top eight. Not huge. He averages 2.33 intercept marks against the top eight, and that drops a, a little bit against the bottom 10 to 2.22. So a, a 5% improvement. It's it's pretty negligible. So there's not a lot of change in his intercepting. What we do know is that... Um, uh, you know, the top teams tend to have a third tall that's um, a, a little bit more dangerous and, and Ridley's having to play a bit more of a lockdown role in those games. So I don't think that would surprise anybody who has watched Essendon or, or watches football that that Ridley has his hands, you know, uh, tied up a little bit more against the better sides. He's had 3.2 fewer disposals against the top team, but that's all handballs. He has the same number of kicks. Score involve- involvements is actually slightly up against the better sides. Tackles are slightly up, but across the board, mate, there's there's very little difference in any meaningful statistic for Jordan Ridley this season. Uh, other than, you know, I think he gets a, a little bit more of a dangerous matchup against the better sides because they're better sides and they have more depth in their forward line. Uh, the one caveat here that I did do, which I suspect that, that Daniel Hoyne didn't do and, and probably didn't even realise this because I, uh, you know, he, he may not have watched the game, but... I took his first game against Port Adelaide out of the data set because that was the one where he was knocked out by Willie Rioli in the second quarter and and didn't play much of the game. So, uh, you know, I thought it was unfair to judge his his overall season performance uh, by leaving that game in. Yeah, look, well said there. I think you, you provide a lot of context there for our listeners. And, and that's the thing that really frustrates me about the sort of comments we get in the media. So we, we never get any context about, hey, these drops compare to players in other sides. So, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of players who who drop off against the better sides. I mean, you, you've got a greater pressure level of game and, and the other side, you know, top eight sides have a greater level of talent. So what's the average drop that players have in their stats against the top eight sides compared to the bottom sides? I imagine there's a lot of players who have similar level drop-offs. Um, you know, I think it's it's a lot easier for, for top eight sides who have the talent to, to put more time into a player like Darcy because they've got more players who can still be attacking at the time compared to the bottom 10 sides. And therefore, you know, he, he may get more touches against the bottom 10 sides. But, you know, I think as you pointed out, you know, there's, there's still a high level of effectiveness against the best sides for both of those players there. Yeah, that's right. I, I mean, it, the problem is that uh, these are a lot of these are passing comments, but then they get put out on, on social media to try and attract eyeballs and, and, you know, things end up taking a, a mind of their own and, I know Darcy Parrish is, in particular is a player that can be quite polarising uh, for Essendon supporters and perhaps that's why something like that does get um, some traction, uh, you know, on social media because it becomes fan fodder. But I think it's a really unfair representation of how Darcy's uh, played his football and, and I think, you know, you, you can look at stats and, and all of those indicators as much as you like. But, A, if you watch him play, um, but B, if you also look at coaches' votes as a real indicator of how coaches view performances against the best side, then I don't think we as Essendon fans have much to worry about in regards to Darcy's performances against the the really good sides. Yeah, well said. Well, look, let's turn our attention to this week's challenge and the chance to improve that record against the top eight. Although if we win, it's likely our opponents will drop out of the eight, meaning that they won't use this as a as a match against the top eight. So, you know, you, you can't win either way. Uh, look, so for the Dogs coming off a grand final appearance in 2021, they were expected to be one of the front runners for season 22. However, they ended up only just scraping into the finals uh, with 12 wins and a percentage of 108.9, thanks to a Carlton choke in the last couple of weeks of the season. They played an away elimination final against Fremantle, 
They did get out to a 40-point lead halfway through the second quarter before a freer surge of 11 goals to two. So the dogs go down by 13 points. It's been it's really been a case of deja vu for the dogs this season. It's played out in much a similar fashion as the previous one. They currently sit in seventh with nine wins and eight losses and a percentage of 103.5. So if the teams above them on the ladder, their only victory has come against the Lions. As the team's pushing for final eight spots, they've had wins against Richmond, the Dockers twice, uh, the Giants, Carlton, Adelaide, whilst they've also lost to St Kilda, Gold Coast, Geelong, and Sydney. So very much a middle of the road results. And just reading that back, I'm, I'm surprised we're not getting, you know, other Bulldogs the real deal given they've only won one game against top eight sides. But I digress. Uh, the Bulldogs last year were the best centre clearance differential side. So they averaged plus three centre clearances a game compared to their opponents. They also led the way for stoppage clearances going at plus 4.9. However, there has been a big drop off in their centre clearance effectiveness this year. They are now ranked six, only at plus 0.7 per game. Although they have retained their effectiveness at stoppage, they're ranked second with plus 4.2 a game. The contested possession numbers have dropped slightly. They were ranked third and plus 8.1 a game last year to rank five and plus 4.2 a game this year. So a little bit of drop-offs in, in some areas that they've been quite good at in previous years. One area they, they do struggle in traditionally is the intercept game. They were down minus 2.2 against their opponents last year, and that was ranked 14th. But they have improved this somewhat this year. That they're, they're breaking even, but that has them ranked 12th uh, amongst teams. Yeah, a couple of things stand out to me here, mate, Is, is and the main ones around clearances. Looking back to to last year, Liberatore was their number one clearance player, followed by McRae, then Bontempelli and and Dunkley. And then it was the same top four for contested possession, just swapped Dunkley to third and Bontempelli to fourth. Across this, uh, across the the whole of the 2022 season, McRae was their number one midfielder for centre bounce attendances, then Libba second, Bontempelli third, followed by Smith, Dunkley, and then Trelaw. They lose Dunkley to the Lions and what I would have expected was that then meant they had a, a little bit of extra reliance on McRae, but, you know, he's gone from attending 64% of centre bounces down to 35%. So, you know, you take Dunkley out there, out of there and and then they, they've largely taken McRae away from the centre bounce as well. And then Bailey Smith has gone from attending 54 centre bounces last year down to 32. So they've completely changed the the mix of their their centre bounce midfield and, and they've instead loaded up on Bontempelli, who's now um, this season attended 82% of centre bounces and, and Trelaw 74, which also takes Bontempelli away from their forward line. Uh, you know, I know they've changed the profile of their forward line a little bit this year too, but yeah, it's just been really interesting that it was sort of their, a real strength of their game and uh, they lose Dunkley and then, you know, largely lose McRae as well. So, um, yeah, it's been a bit of a strange approach to it this year by the Dogs. Yeah, they've really gone for that Melbourne 2021 model where they sort of run three almost exclusively and, you know, I think that can work as, as Melbourne showed, but we also saw last year with, with a team like Geelong that they really rotated through and, you know, they got quite an advantage from that. So I guess it, there's strengths to both ways. You know, you get your best players in there as much as possible. You know, you probably get the best value clearances, but, you know, it can also have negative effects where your players are failing to run out games. And, you know, that probably something you could argue cost them last week against the Swans. Speaking of, of history, recent history suggests the Bulldogs have the edge over the Bombers. So since 2014, which uh, if you remember was the Jake Carlisle eight goals game, uh, Essendon has only beaten the Bulldogs once in nine attempts, which was the 2021 game where Peter Wright kicked seven 
Although a friend of the show, Anthrop, does like to point out that win was a bit of a false dawn and was much as down to bulldog inaccuracy as anything Essendon did well. Uh, if you average out the margin from those eight losses, it's been 50 points, and that's actually above average losing margin against Geelong in that time. So they're a side we've really struggled with. However, one thing that stands out with regards to the Bulldogs this year is that they've really struggled to defend full ground transfer of the ball. Now, the fourth West side defending scores from defensive 50 transition, and they're only ahead of the bottom three sides on the ladder in West Coast, North and Hawthorne. Um, they've also been the second easiest side to score against overall. And, you know, I think given that we have generally been a really effective scoring side and also effective at moving the ball from our defensive 50 to our forward 50, I think that gives us a real opportunity this week. Yeah, I, I think so too, mate. They averaged 21.8 points per game against from D50 transition. So that's teams that that take the ball from either a, a kick-in, a turnover in the Western Bulldogs forward line, uh, or a, uh, a stoppage in the Western Bulldogs forward line and then take it the length of the ground and score. Um, on the flip side, the Dogs score just 12.8 points a game from, you know, transition from their own defensive 50 into, into scores. So, uh, you know, for context, we're scoring 23 points a game from D50 transition and, uh, transition and conceding 16. So it's definitely an area that we should be taking some confidence in being able to exploit. Like us, they score well from set of bounds. They average 9.1 points a game and concede 8.5. So, you know, whilst they score okay, they, they're they all also vulnerable um, to scoring as well and, and sort of, you know, all, all but break even there. We score 13.1 points on average from set of bounces and concede 9.4. So, uh, you know, our numbers in, in those areas, um, D50 transition scores and, and also centre bounces actually mirror quite nicely against theirs. And you would expect there are two parts of the ground where we might be able to get some wins. Um, but before we get too stuck into how we match up against them, mate, let's have a little bit of a chat about their list changes from last year. We, we've touched on Dunkley, but but they've done a couple of things. Yeah, so the big in for the Bulldogs this year was the trade of Rory Love from Fremantle, um, somewhere they've been after for a while. Now, he has played 15 games, but hasn't set the world on fire and was actually recently dropped from the side. They also had Liam Jones uh, returning from his stint, undertaking his own research uh, to fill the hole in the back line, an area that's been a constant issue for the Dogs. Um, he played all 14 games after breaking his arm. Um, it's obviously going to keep him out of this match. And I think the news is that he might be back before the end of the season. Someone they'll be looking to really get back into that lineup to shore up that that leaky defence. Um, Oscar Baker from Melbourne was picked up as a supplementary selection. Um, he's played 13 games and he's also won himself a contract extension. They need to pick up three draftees from the na- national draft, but none of those have, have featured so far this season. So obviously the big out for the dogs was Josh Dunkley. We've touched on him. He finally got his wish to leave the Witten Oval, although up to Brisbane instead of Essendon like he wanted to come to two years ago. Um, and as we sort of pointed out, he's someone that haven't truly replaced his midfield time. It's been picked up by existing players rather than putting someone else into that rotation. Um, other key outs uh, include Lockie Hunter to Melbourne, having played 10 games in 22. Zane Cordy is a free agent to St Kilda. He played 14 games. Uh, Josh Aggie to Melbourne, seven games. Mitch Wallace, five games was delisted and then Seth and Martin who played four games retired. 
Yeah, I think um, Hunter is is a player who's as big a loss for them as Dunkley. And, you know, in both cases, they've lost some real leaders. Um, you know, Hunter's playing some really good footy at Melbourne. And, and I think they've all, almost tried to cover his loss with McRae. You know, that they've taken him out of the centre bounce and he's, he's spending a fair bit of time playing on a wing. So uh, it feels a little bit at times that they're robbing Peter to pay Paul. Um, but, uh, you know, again, let's hope that, that some of their challenges this year are ones that we're able to exploit on Friday night. Yeah. Well, one time he didn't exploit uh, their challenges was um, last time he played the Bulldogs. So, round seven, 2022. Uh, the Bulldogs, 16-7-103, defeated Essendon, 10-11-71. It was a match that was reasonably tight for the opening half. It was then blown up by the Bulldogs, seven goals to three third quarter, which led to their comfortable 32-point victory. The key difference was the Bulldogs' ability to generate scores from forward half turnovers. So, they scored 50 points from this source, whereas Essendon was only able to manage three uh, this has also seen their ability to generate repeat entries. So they, they were plus 27 on the inside 50 count. Uh, most other stats were fairly even, but it was Essendon turning the ball over in the back half that cost them in the end. Uh, just the basic stats, right kick four goals, whilst Merritt and Parrish both had over 30 disposals. Whilst for the Dogs, Daniel had 32, whilst Dunkley, McRae, Dale and Smith all had over 25. Yeah, it was a pretty flat game from us really, but as was a lot of 2021, uh, sorry, 2022. So look, I think both cha- both teams have changed a, a fair bit. They've changed in personnel uh, a little bit on the ground and we've changed in a fair bit of personnel off the ground. So I, I don't think we read too much into what happened last year. I think both teams are playing um, very different football. Yeah. Well, look, let's move to selection. And look, it's an interesting situation for us, given we're recording on Wednesday before teams are announced. This is the first time we've done that this year. Um, That said, most of the games that we've been recording for have been Sunday games. And we really don't have the best record when it comes to guessing who will be left out from the extended bench. So I'm not sure not knowing the sides is going to make that much of a difference to our ability to predict what the final teams will be. You would expect that after such a loss like we had against Geelong, that there would have to be changes made. Cox was held over from that the second half of the VFL against Geelong. Uh, Sardis had a spectacular game, but coming off a five-day break, you think he would be unlikely to be selected. Uh, Laverde is the big injury concern. Um, it's possible Cox comes in for him. The dogs key forwards, Ed Norton and, and Jamara Uglehagen, aren't exactly monsters in the in the Hawkins-Dixon mould, so a more mobile defender could fit in there. Obviously, Kane Baldwin is an option um, as well as, as sort of a straight stop for Laverde. And he also played quite a good game in the VFL. He did roll his ankle early in the match. Um, at the other end of the ground, um, Wiedemann might have had his last chance for a while. I guess the obvious in there is Phillips. But I guess with Phillips and Brian, we don't exactly have a Ruckman that, that's got strong forward craft. So that could leave us exposed. Um, I also think potentially a Snelling might wake way for an, an Alwyn Davy Jr., someone who's been putting together some good form in the VFL. Um, so if I was in charge of selection, I would go in Phillips, Davy Jr. and Cox, and then out Wiedemann, Stelling and Laverde. What are your thoughts, Johnny? Yeah, I think if Laverde misses, they'll probably go with Baldwin as a bit more like-for-like. Like. I guess there's the the variable that the the twos played on Sunday. So it's only a five-day break till Friday night. And, and I know Cox, they, they took him off at halftime, whereas Baldwin played the whole game. Ridley's done a good job on Norton previously, so they might use him in more of a lockdown role and, and use Cox in an intercepting role. But 
Yeah, once again, mate, I'm, I'm not prepared to take too much of a guess there because I'm miles off on selection every week. I'd really like to see Davey back in the team, though. You know, I've touched on earlier some of those problems are falling down over across half forward. I think, you know, whilst Davey's only a first-year player, I think he's he's going to be one that can help us with that. Maybe not so much in, in 2023, but certainly in the future once he's got some games under his belt. So uh, I'm hoping that, that we do see him back in the 22. Uh, as for the dogs, it sounds like Bailey Smith will be available. He missed out on on the, you know the game last week against the Swans with illness, uh, so you know that that's really going to help them there. Rory Lobb, you know, could be one that they they bring in given he was omitted last week. Uh, McNeil will go into the the concussion protocols following his incident with um, Dane Goalpost Rampy last week. So uh, uh, yeah, so they they got at least one force change there. Uh, and then you know with Darcy Jones and and O'Donnell also unavailable, they they don't have a lot of options down back. So, you know, we might get an advantage for Peter Wright there. Um, you know, they might look to bring Josh Bruce back in as as a bit of defensive cover. But, yeah, I, I'm not really sure how they'll go about it. I think at the very least we'll see Bailey Smith in for, for McNeil and, and then they've got some options both um, in, in key forward post and, and key defensive post to to look to make some changes there. Yeah, really, you know, and I guess – just, just on McNeil is a really vicious attack that he put onto to Rampy, especially since he wasn't even looking at him when, when he did it. Um, you know, I, I was surprised that uh, Rampy got away without being concussed himself. I think it serves McNeil right getting in Rampy's way like that. We know that uh, Rampy is the um, the golden child of the AFL and nothing he ever does is wrong. Um, but look, let's talk about the game the Bulldogs played last week against the Swans where they, they did go down by two points, 11-12-78. Um, to the Bulldogs, 11-10-76. Was a match the Bulldogs really dominated statistically? They won contested possession and clearance comfortably. And if you look at time in front of the scoreboard, they were in front for two-thirds of the match, but they really just couldn't put the Swans away. The Swans that tackled the Dogs by 28 and had 22 to nine tackles inside 50. I actually think it really plays into what we talked about earlier with their their lack of rotations through the middle, that they can fade out of games towards the end. Um, and I think that sort of played into how that match played out. Uh, for the Dogs, Norton kicked three goals. Um, their centre square trio of Trelaw, Bontempelli and Liberatore all had over 30 disposals as well. Yeah, it wasn't a particularly entertaining game. The, the Swans were able to score 20 points to 10 from forward half stoppages. And it was probably the, the one part of the game where they were able to get on top of them a little bit. Uh, the Dogs are, have been a team that's... Uh, uh, sort of consistently provided some dour games this year. Um, uh, you know, they're not a particularly high scoring team that they're, they're ranked 11th for, for scores for um, they, they, despite their, um, their issues with defending transition, they do a reasonable job of, um, of keeping games to low scores as well. So I think they're, you know, sort of ranked fifth or sixth for, for scores against. Uh, so yeah, that, it was a typical, uh, you know, in my view, a typical Western Bulldogs game of, of 2023, sort of, a, yeah, relatively low scoring and, and, and not too many thrills. So um, yeah, not, not one that I, I think will go into the archives as a, as a must watch game for the future. Yeah. Well, look, let's get stuck into the tactics for the upcoming match. And and as we said earlier, this is another bogey side for us. How do you think we should approach this week? Yeah, look, no doubt the coaches will review the Geelong game really closely and, and, and pull it apart. 
I suspect there'll be elements of it that they share with the, the playing group, but I think what they'll more likely do is go back to the game against the Crows and, and our performance against Port Adelaide and, and show them the things that we were doing well that have helped us. Um, you know, you can you can focus on on the negatives as much as you like, but you know we are doing quite a number of things right, and, and I think if we can get back to winning the contest both at stoppage and around the ground and, and play that territory based game um, yeah. and 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 lock the ball in our forward half, then we obviously position ourselves to be able to go really well in this game. I think we know what we can expect from Bontempelli and Libertore. They've been doing it for a long time. They rank third and seventh for contested ball in the AFL. They rank fifth and eighth for tackles and second and ninth in the AFL for pressure acts. So they'll bring real heat around the contest. Uh, but then I do think that their midfield, in terms of that real competitiveness, that the, the pressure around the ball does drop away a, a little bit. Uh, I, I think what we've seen from Perkins is enough to suggest he has the tools to to be able to do something of a job on Bontempelli. Uh, Bontempelli is also their number one score involvement player. He's fourth in the AFL and, and he's behind um, just Tom English for score launches and you know as we've said a few times it, it's normal that the ruckman you know because they're getting the, their hand on the ball via a hit out is is number one for for score launches so so bonson pally is their there's you know number two around the ground um he's number one for the dogs for inside 50s and eighth in the afl so uh, you know he's their one warden and, and at times i reckon he's their their two warden their three wood as well so i think if perkins can do a a, a job there once again it, it gives us a bit of an opportunity to to get on top of them elsewhere and whilst Bontempelli does give some real good pressure at the contest, he will he will tackle and, and throw his body around. He's not one who necessarily defends the ground all that well and, and not too dissimilar to Cripps in that regard. And, and you know, I think he's part of the reason that they're a little bit easier than, than most teams to transition the ball against from D50. And, and we know Perkins can really hurt teams if he gets the ball in the middle of the ground. So I'm I'm looking to to do that once again. And then I'm I'm happy just to let Parrish and, and Libber go head to head. I mean, Libber's a really uh, strong contested ball winner. I think he's more creative than he gets credit for, and, and and more dangerous than he gets credit for. But so is Darcy Parrish. So I, I think if if they go head to head, we we back in Darcy to to beat Libber and, and get his hands on it more often than than Libber does, and and give us some ascendancy. I, I do think Darcy, uh, whilst it, it's not something that our fans necessarily rate. I, I certainly do. I think he is better on the spread than, than Liber is and can hurt him there as well. And then the other one that I think we need to be mindful of in, in general play around the midfield is Caleb Daniel. And we need to get that one right. He, he's he been playing some different roles this year, not, all, not often in his customary halfback role. Uh, he has been playing a fair bit of time as a half forward and and on the wing and and what he does do in those positions is go into the stoppage and um, you know he's there um, he's fifteenth in the comp for stoppage clearances which isn't a, a, something that you might expect of a player of that size and and we know how dangerous he is by foot he can he can really cut us up and do some damage so I think when he's when he's playing forward that McGrath is the matchup there because he can follow him into the stoppage and make him accountable uh, you know McGrath's uh, you, you know, played midfield time. He, he's he's comfortable in the in the stoppage. It's an area where someone like Redmond um, can can lose an opponent. Opponent. It's not something that um, Ridley is overly comfortable with either. So I think McGrath's the right man there. Um, and then if he's playing on a wing, we really need to be mindful of how Durham and Martin approach it. They'll need to make sure that they don't lose him in transition because if they do, again, it, if he gets the ball in his hands and 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 if he has a little bit of space, he can really hurt us and, and set up their forward thrust. So. Uh, yeah, that that's the one that I think we really, really need to get right, mate. Yeah, 
Uh, the Bulldogs obviously have some some good tall forwards in, in Norton, Jamara, and potentially Lob. We did have a question uh, from Dan Bomber on Twitter asking us how you think we will handle those players. Yeah, I, I mean, they don't... Uh, Jamara and uh, in particular, but but Norton and Well has been playing some really good footy this year. Jamara's come along um, leaps and bounds, um, literally and figuratively at times. Um, I... They don't have the physical profile of someone like Hawkins. They're, they're not going to necessarily ragdoll them. They're, um, Norton's a, a run and jump at the footy type of forward. Jamar is someone who's got some real smarts and, and um, uh, will, you know, he's added the ability to find space and and um, and repeat lead and, and duck in behind other forwards. And, and um, he's got some real acceleration off the mark. So he's got some real craft to how he goes about it. Uh, as well as that ability to to jump on heads and, and take high marks. So I think a lot of it is going to be about what happens down the ground. And, and if we can get those midfield matchups right and we can put pressure on them there, then I think it's going to go a, a long way, obviously, to to making um, our defenders' life a whole lot easier. I think if Lob plays, that that Ridley probably has to take up that take that matchup just purely due to size and, and height. Um, but if he doesn't, um, I'm confident with BZT and, and Laverde doing a job on the other two, as long as our midfields hold, uh, our midfielders hold up their end of the bargain. Yeah. I'm actually not that overall concerned about Lob. Actually, I think there's a reason he was dropped last week. And, you know, for, for a t- tall key forward and someone who's traditionally being good in this area, this year he's ranked 143rd for contested marks in the comp. And he's actually behind Cody Waitman in that metric um, look, now that I've said that, he'll probably come in and, and have his best game for the year. So, you know, get your bets in uh, for a lob five goals this week. Yeah, well, yeah, you you've you might have put the mods on us there, but I, I did notice you're touching uh, your wooden desk there. So, you know, that gives you the outright. So, um, yeah, I, I, look, Cody Waitman's the one that we haven't really touched on. He's a player that... Uh, I know I was going to say polarizes most fans, but he doesn't really polarize them because most fans just despise him. But uh, he's played really well against us before and, and he's a dangerous player. He's dangerous because um, a little bit like what Jai Menzi for us is is developing into, he can kick goals in different ways. He's not just a crumbing small forward, but he can get you on the lead. He can he can jump a little bit on packs. He's strong in, in one-on-one contests. So I think... Um, you know, with McGrath needing to spend time on on Caleb Daniel, that 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 leaves Jake Kelly to take the Waitman matchup, and um and yeah, if he can nullify Waitman, then uh, again, I think it's um it, it gives us another opportunity to keep a, a really dangerous um goal threat, and and not just a goal threat, he's a player that can get them, you know, really up and about. He's a bit of a talisman for them, so um yeah, hopefully Jake can do a, a lockdown job on Waitman and, and take him out of the game. Yeah, well, look, let's let's head to our final thought, and I guess. After a performance last last week, there's a lot of players who've got something to prove. For you, who's the player that's got the most to prove after last week's performance? Yeah, I well, so I don't necessarily think he has anything to improve. I, I, he's the one that I think will bounce back uh, the most, and and that's Zach Merritt. I mean, he's had a, a great career, and um, uh, you know he he doesn't need to do too much more to to prove himself. But he was well held. Last week, I think he'll be really smarting and, and really disappointed with with the showing. You know, as captain, he'll take a lot of responsibility for that. Uh, and you know, I, I think he'll he'll want to see us put up our best showing against another top eight side and um, and get the win. So I'm really expecting to see Zach bounce back and, and play a really good game. Uh, what about you? Um, look, I, I want to say Parish to stick it up 
Uh, Daniel Hoyden have a, have a great game against the top eight side, but my my choice isn't a player. I think Brad Scott and, and the coaching side really need to, you know, put a lot of, obviously they always put a lot of work in, but I think this is a big challenge for them this, this week. We've, we've gone up against one bogey side last week and, and really struggled to, to show improvement. We're coming up against another bogey side this week. So I, I think we all want to see that there's been some adaptions to the game to address this ongoing concern and, you know, improvement, as you say, maybe it just takes time for players to get experience, but I think we want to see a much improved performance there. Yeah, I think that's a fair call, mate. I mean, we we beat Richmond uh, during the se- yeah, earlier in the season. They're a team that we we haven't beaten forever. Uh, we beat Melbourne, another team that we've struggled with in recent years. Albeit, you know, Melbourne have been a really good footy team for a fair bit of that. So, I think we have ticked off some of those challenges that have have been thrown at us. I think Geelong is just another category of challenge for us at the moment. So, um, yeah, I'm. I'm going to the footy on Friday night with a reasonable level of confidence that we're going to put in a in a good show. Whether that manifests in a win or not, I, I'm not sure. But I, I'm I am gaining more and more confidence that that we've got a team who's um who's relatively capable of of showing consistent levels of performance week in week out. Yeah, great way to finish there. Well, look, that'll wrap us up for the show this evening. Thanks again to everyone who listens, comments, and interacts with us. It makes even the worst weeks on the field better. Um, any final words from you, Jono? Uh, not really, mate, although I say that every week and then find something to say. No, um, glad to, to have you back, mate. Glad you're feeling somewhat better. Hope you can shake off the rest of your your bug um, in the next day or two. And, yeah, looking forward to getting to to Marvel on Friday night for uh, and seeing a packed Essendon and crowd there to cheer on the lads and, and hopefully we get another win on the board. Yeah, absolutely. Let's hope for a better performance this Friday night against the Dogs. Uh, look, until then, stay safe, everyone, and go Dons.